Welcome to episode number 54 of the Mastery Marriage Podcast, where our goal is to strengthen, unite, and restore your marriage. My name is Amanda Taylor, and together with my husband, David, we are the co-founders of MendOurMarriage.com, and our goal is to break the back of divorce by bringing married couples together to be accountable, keep the passion alive, and destroy the hidden issues that try to rip marriages apart. And we are back in the booth today with me, of course, Amanda Taylor, and my husband, my co-host, David Taylor. Yo, 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 yo. <laughs> I, there was too many yo's, but anyway, what's up, everybody? We are back in the booth. My name is David Taylor. Hey, hey. Mandy just introduced me. We're here. Welcome to the Mastery Marriage Podcast, episode number 54. We are back. Okay, I'm hyped. And I'm hyped for a good reason. Yes, well, you are. a couple of reasons, and I say this all the time because it seems like we just can't get two shows out in a month. But we're going to try <laughs> to do that this month. But I'm hyped because number one, we're back in the booth, recording another information pack. Now, I, like I really mean it this time. This this episode is packed, so I'm glad that we're going to be bringing this content to you guys. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm glad because I have a surprise. Well, not well, kind of, sort of, right? I'll just say it. This episode, episode number 54, is brought to you on behalf of the League of Extraordinary Husbands. Wow. Or LXH. It's going down. The League is here. So you guys have probably heard me talk about, maybe in the For Husbands Only podcast, uh, about this Husbands Mastermind group that I'm developing. Well, it is here. It is ready. And at the end of the show, I will let you guys know how to, for all the husbands, that is, not the wives, but all the husbands and the men, I will let you guys know how to actually go in and sign up to be part of the league. This is exclusive, though, so not everybody's going to get in, but I am really serious about the desire to change a million marriages. And in order to do that, I feel like I have to affect a million husbands. So that's a lot of, that's a lot, a lot of dudes, right? A lot of hairy dudes, but I'm trying. So the league is here, the league of extraordinary husbands. And at the end of the show, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about that and give you guys an opportunity to go to the website, check it out for yourself. It's going down. Definitely. Thank God for this because I know that, um, this has been something on David's heart and something I've been pulling on him to do for a while because a lot of hurting husbands out there. A lot. So And you guys have been reaching out. They've been reaching out, babe, and it's been so humbling to actually be able to speak with men, men who are on the verge of leaving their wives and men who want to save their marriages, all types of men. You guys have been reaching out. And so it just is overwhelming. But again, the league is here. It's going down and I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't either. Yes. So, okay, let me move past this because I could stay there all day, but I'm not. (laughs) We're going to get back to it. But okay, today... Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that is very important. And as you know from the topic or the title of the podcast, it's, is your baggage ruining your marriage? Is your baggage ruining your marriage? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, we're going to just dive right in, Mandy, because again, yeah, you got a go. lot of stuff. You ready? Yes. Now, you got your scuba? <laughs> your scuba? Okay, anyway. I got my scuba. So let's go ahead and jump right in. So, okay, guys, behind your relationship with God, and your relationship with yourself. Marriage 
is one of the most important and fragile relationships that you will ever have in life. Now, the health of our society, I believe, and I'm sure, Mandy, you believe this as well, because we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't, but (laughs) the health of society, to me, is directly correlated to the health of marriage. And so the institution of marriage, Mm -hmm. how healthy that institution is, is to me directly correlated to how healthy society and our communities are. So unhealthy marriages, unhealthy society. To me, there's a direct correlation. Definitely. Now, as of now, about half of all first-time marriages end in divorce. And of those half, so of the 50% of marriages that remain, right, only 30% of those marriages rate themselves as being happy and healthy. Mm. That's interesting. That is so low. Yeah. It's, it, unfortunately. So that means 30% of marriages, of those that remain married, only report themselves as being happy and healthy. That means for the most part, if you aren't divorced, you are more than likely unhappy inside of your marriage. Seven out of 10 marriages are mm-hmm. unhappy and unhealthy. We got to change that. Yes. Yes. And so obviously we're putting our bid in to change that. Right? Right, right. So as we here at Mend Our Marriage seek to literally impact a million marriages, mm-hmm. we've been relentlessly focused on finding out why these stats are true. Um, and for people that, that don't know, uh, I got my master's degree in clinical psychology. So it was all about research, empirical research. And so I love doing research. I love validating numbers and finding out why the trends are the way that they are. And so we've really been doing that with Mend Our Marriage. Um, we've had the privilege of working with couples and individuals. And whenever we've worked with a couple or a standard, either with our counseling services or through our overflow program, and even through our books, mm-hmm. uh, we study them individually and as a couple to learn why their marriage is in the condition that it is in. Right. So we actually study them as we're working with them. So they're like our guinea pigs, uh, but at the same time, we're learning from them so that we can do uh, even better at providing the right type of services. Right. So of the fascinating things that we have learned about these couples and these individuals, uh, we found that there is one thing, okay, one thing that is probably the most divisive and destructive to the foundation of any marriage. Imagine that one thing. What if you knew the one thing that could help your marriage? Wouldn't you want that? Man, we have to sell that. <laughs> well, we're not even going to sell this information. This is free, but we're going to give it to you guys. So now when I say what it is, you'll be tempted to say, well, I already know that. And you possibly dismiss just how impactful this thing is. But I challenge you to resist doing that. And instead, I want you to focus on seeing how this one thing applies to your present marital situation. So maybe you're the 70% that rates your your marriage as being unhealthy and unhappy. I I really want you to pay special attention to this. Um, And even if you rate your marriage as being happy and healthy, still pay attention to this. So the thing that we found that is most divisive and destructive to your marriage is whether or not you have truly healed from your past baggage. Mm. That's right. If you are still seeking closure for past wounds, that one behavior is most likely eroding the very foundation of your marriage. Now, as adults, if we have not properly healed from our past, 
there's actually two things that will happen. First, we remain emotionally stuck at whatever developmental stage we were in when that trauma happened, Mm -hmm. which is deep in and of itself. And we're going to get to that. And secondly, we use our current marriage to close the loops of our past. This is key. I promise you this is key. This is huge, right? And it is more than likely the reason why your marriage is not as satisfying and fulfilling as you would like it to be. Yeah. So, Mandy, as we do, we're going to dance around this a little bit. And, you know, let, let, well, let's talk a little bit about these two concerns real fast uh, in further detail. And then I want to share with uh, you guys, you listeners, 13 ways to tell if your baggage is ruining your marriage. Because maybe you don't know exactly what you're doing, but you know there's something there. So in a minute, Mandy and I, we're going to go deeper and talk about those uh, 13 things or 13 ways to tell if your baggage is ruining your marriage. And by the way, we all have baggage. So don't exempt yourself by saying, I ain't got baggage. Your ends (laughs) got baggage. Okay. Just going to be honest. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, okay. Remember, as adults, if we have not properly healed from our past, two things happen. First. Again, we remain emotionally stuck at whatever developmental stage we were in when that trauma happened. And second, we use our current marriage to close the loops of our past. So let's, let's unpack this first one real fast. And again, this is, (laughs) this is going to be a little heady because again, I'm a researcher. Uh, my background is in psychology. So I'm going to give you guys psychological, uh, some psychological concepts that you may not normally think about or even hear. So, uh, if it goes over your head, I apologize because, again, this is, you know, it's stuff you wouldn't normally read. So take some notes, please, and go back to this and listen to it again. Um, and not like it's going over your head because it's smarter, but this is just stuff we don't normally talk about. Uh, but anyway, let's unpack the first one. So anybody who remembers their college childhood psychology class, so anybody who took childhood psychology in college or maybe even high school, I guess, uh, you guys will remember that according to one of the forerunners of developmental psychology, Eric Erickson, that's his name, according to Eric Erickson, there are actually eight stages of psychosocial development. Now, for this episode, and for the sake of time, I will only focus on the first six stages as they are the ones that are most important to the topic of baggage. So let me go through the first six stages of psychosocial development. And what that really means is that these are the stages that you go through from infancy all the way up to adulthood. And so there are six stages that cover the chasm or that gap of, let's say 35 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's, there's six, yeah, six stages. And and, and there's, well, we're going to just jump into the first one. So the first stage, because I I get hype about this stuff, but anyway, the first stage is this stage one is Basic trust versus basic mistrust. Now, the major question at this stage is, can I trust the world? And this stage covers the periods of infancy. Well, actually, the period of time between your infancy, so from the time that you're born, and your first year of life. So between zero and one years of age, this is what this basic trust versus basic mistrust stage is all about. And again, it is the most fundamental stage of life. So whether the baby develops basic trust or basic mistrust, 
it's not merely a matter of nurture. It depends actually on the quality of the maternal relationship. So think about it like this. That makes sense. The mother carries out and reflects the inner perceptions of trustworthiness, a sense of personal meaning, etc., on the child. So if successful in terms of if the mother has successfully conveyed that the world can be trusted, that she can be trusted, if this is successful, the baby develops a sense of trust, which forms the basis in the child for a sense of identity. So again, think about that. So if the mother has successfully conveyed that this world can be trusted, the baby develops a sense of trust. And this is like the the foundation of life is trust versus mistrust. So failure to develop this trust will result in a feeling of fear, a sense that the world is inconsistent and unpredictable. And I don't know if you uh, know this, or anybody who has kids, you'll you agree to this, that like kids thrive off of safety and security. They thrive off of feeling like they can trust their environment. Now, if a kid can't do that, then you've probably noticed that your child, if your child struggles, let's say there's a lot of instability in the home, then the child is then forced to have to develop their own sense of stability. Because kids don't know how to do that for themselves, they start to act out and do certain things that show that they're pretty unstable, but they're they're needing that stability in the household. So from, you know, stealing uh, to lying you know, to being insubordinate. Those are ways that kids try to find stability in their own world because they don't feel safe enough, you know, with their surroundings, their personal environment. But and anyway. It starts, um, in the, so you're saying it starts at this from infancy to one years old. That's yeah. where that's developed. That basic trust versus mistrust. Mm-hmm. That You know, so if the parent has done a good job of demonstrating that, then the kids won't be as anxious. They'll be more relaxed, more calm. So if a, a parent is um, insecure, Mm. like insecure or anxious, yep. um, operate out of a lot of fear. Yep. The kids pick that up. The kids will pick that up. And imagine you got a kid. Well, let me not even go there. Let me go to the next one. Cause all this will make sense, but really good stuff. Really good stuff. I hope it's starting to click. And I want you to see yourself as the the person in this narrative. So, okay. So the step, the second stage is autonomy versus shame. Now, The major question in this stage, stage two is, is it okay to be me, right? And so this stage covers early childhood uh, from around the ages of one to age three, right? So around the ages of one to three is the second stage of psychosocial development. And this is all about, is it okay to be me? So this stage introduces the concept of autonomy versus shame and doubt. So In this stage, the child begins to discover the beginnings of his or her own independence. And parents must facilitate the child's sense of doing basic tasks all by themselves. For instance, like, you know, that's when the child will start to walk and wander and crawl. Mm -hmm. And they'll, you know, want to begin to be a little bit more independent. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine if in stage one, they didn't get that sense of trust. They'll start to find their own sense of independence based off of what they think is safe and secure for themselves. And so Mm -hmm. that's when kids, you know, you've heard of the terrible twos, you know, when, when those toddlers are really acting out because they're trying to find a sense of who they are and they're wanting to know, is it okay for me to be who I, who I feel like I am? Mm -hmm. So discouragement in the stage can lead to the child doubting his or her own ability. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, like you were saying, if the, if the parent is anxious or the parent has their own insecurity issues, 
and they give that to the child, then the child will begin to pick up on those things and they will see themselves as in, uh, uh, insecure. So they'll be more likely to doubt their abilities and the doubt that they can do certain things, even at as early as ages two or three, because they've learned that it's been modeled from their parents. Now, all this will make sense in a minute, guys, but just pay attention, okay? Let's move to, to the third stage real fast. The third stage of psychosocial development is called initiative versus guilt. And this stage is all about, well, the major question in this stage is all about, is it okay for me to do, move, and act? So this is this stage covers preschool, like from the years of three to six. So from years three to six, this is what this third stage is all about. Now, the question's, Again, is is it okay for me to do, move, and act? So does the child have the ability to do things on their own, such as dress him or herself, right? If guilty about making his or her own choices, the child will not function well. So if parents and preschool teachers encourage and support the child's efforts while also helping them to make realistic and appropriate choices, children develop initiative, independence, and planning and undertaking activities. So that's, you know, let me tie my shoe by myself. Let me dress myself. Can I pick up my own clothes? Right. But, but if instead adults discourage the pursuit of independent activities or dismiss them as silly and bothersome, children develop guilt about their needs and desires. Keep this stuff in mind. It's going to make sense in a minute. Right. That's good. The fourth stage is industry versus inferiority. So this is the fourth stage of psychosocial development. Just stick with me. I know it's a little heady, but we're going to get there in a minute. Uh, but the major question of this stage is, can I make it in the world of people and things? So the age range here is from six to 11. This is where you get children comparing self-worth to others, such as in the classroom environment. You know, he's smarter than me. She's prettier than me. He's faster than me. I look fat. You know, this is where they get to... They actually start comparing themselves to other people. This is where the child can recognize major disparities in personal abilities relative to other children. So, and this is key. You, you see a lot of kids struggle at this age. Yeah. The failure to master trust, stage one, autonomy and industrial skills may cause the child to doubt his or her future, leading to shame, guilt, and the experience of defeat and inferiority. Did I say that last word right? Inferiority? Yeah. Oh, I couldn't get my mouth open for that one. But anyway, at this age, children start recognizing their special talents and continue to discover interests as their education improves. So this is Mandy, when this is when you started to run track, right? Yeah. In this age range. And this is where you mm -hmm. was kicking butt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But see, think about this though. Yeah. If not allowed to discover their own talents in their own time. They will develop a sense of a, of a lack of motivation, low self-esteem, and laziness. Mm -hmm. So this is usually when the self-esteem is truly developed or at least starting to develop, right? Um, and again, keep this in mind because we're going to get back to this in a minute. Stage five. Stage five is all about identity versus role confusion. Mm -hmm. And again, this is the fifth stage of psychosocial development. Everybody goes through these stages, by the way. So the major question in this stage is, am I, who am I, and what can I be? Now, the age ranges in this uh, stage is from 12 to 18, right? This is your adolescence, teenage years. Um, and this 
this stage is all about questioning yourself. Who am I? How do I fit in? Where am I going in life? Right. You start to actually ask yourself these questions. Right. Uh, the adolescent is newly concerned with how they appear to others. So this is where you be- begin to develop that whole concept of your ideal self, true self and disowned traits. And in a minute, we're going to talk about it. But based off of what trauma you, you incurred, this is when it starts to really like solidify in how you see yourself. Mm-hmm. So as they make the transition from childhood to adulthood, adolescents ponder the roles that they will play in the adult world, right? This is when you start dating, you start, you know, having your attraction to your, you know, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And, you know, you start to notice, you know, interactions with your parents and, you know, you just start to see more mature stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Coincidentally, this is, was, this was around the time when I was exposed to pornography. And so that severely influenced who I saw myself as. Mm -hmm. And if you are curious about that, check out penis envy, parts one and two, uh, in my, for husbands only podcast, uh, that'll talk about how that works for men. Uh, but anyway, let me go to the last stage of psychosocial development. It's called intimacy versus isolation. And the major question in this stage is, can I love? This is the first stage of adult development. The development usually happens during the young adulthood, which is between the ages of 18 to 35. So we're still in this stage, intimacy versus isolation. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, and there are two more stages, but they happen later on in life. Uh, but so for this stage, once people have established their identities, uh, they are ready to make long-term commitments, usually in the form of marriage. They become capable of forming intimate, reciprocal relationships, like through close friendships and marriage, like I just said, and they're willing to make the sacrifices and compromises that's needed for those relationships to endure. So dating, marriage, family, and friendships are important during this stage of their life. Uh, By successfully forming loving relationships with other people, individuals are able to experience love and intimacy. If people cannot form these intimate relationships, perhaps because of their own needs, a sense of isolation may result. Now, let me go, and we're going to actually start to break this down a little bit so you guys can actually see why this is important. Now, before I say that, one final thing to note about these stages is that they are not set in stone. So uh, these age ranges that I, I listed are more of an average than anything else. Some people develop faster or slower than others mm-hmm. and thus may reach a stage at a different age. Okay, so, you know, just keep that in mind. Nothing set in stone. Now... Why in the heck did I take the time to have this psychological lesson? (laughs) Why did I take the time to go through these six stages of psychosocial development? Well, remember that if you experience trauma in a particular area during one of these stages, but you didn't heal properly, you are most likely still stuck at that stage emotionally. Wow. Yeah. It's deeper. So let's say that you were sexually molested when you were seven or eight years old. Right. By someone close to you, like a father, uncle, cousin, whatever it may be. But let's say you were sexually molested at that age. That means that you were in stage four, the industry versus inferiority stage. Let's say that you never received the proper care that would help you to heal from this trauma. That would mean that, yeah, you're right. Happens more, especially in our generation. Um, 
maybe not the generation that's behind us because it's becoming more common to go to counseling. But in our generation, definitely the generation before us, they didn't go to no counseling when this happened. They ain't tell nobody. Yeah, they ain't tell nobody. So, but think about it. If you're, if that happened and you were in this like four stage, that would mean that you are more likely to struggle with self-worth and self-esteem. That also means that you may struggle with shame or guilt and will most likely still have those struggles in your marriage. Think about that because it stunted your emotional development in that stage because the wound happened, nothing allowed healing to take place. And so you never matured past that point of pain. So whenever that, that thing is triggered, you immediately regress back to how you emotionally uh, or how you emoted at that time. Now, I'm not saying you become seven or eight all over again, but how you emotion, how you emote, how you manage your emotions will almost mimic how you emoted back then. So if you were likely to go and hide somewhere, right, when you were a little kid because of maybe what happened, you're going to do that, not like in like, you're not going to go and actually hide, but emotionally you'll hide yourself. You'll withdraw, right? Look at it from that angle. You'll withdraw. You'll find things to to occupy and distract your time so that you don't have to face the issues, right? right? Think about that, mm-hmm. right? This is huge because we often blame our issues on our spouse when they merely triggered what was already there. I want you to take that in. We often blame our issues on our spouse when they actually only just triggered what was already beneath the surface. Or a better way of saying it is that they exposed something that was laying dormant beneath the surface of our souls. Think about that. Okay. Before moving on, I want to, I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to take a look at yourself objectively. Okay. Objectively to see if you may be emotionally stuck at any one of these stages. Now, I know for me, and I'm going to just put myself on the chopping block. Okay. I know for me, I was stuck on stage four emotionally for years because this was the time that my parents split. So at that time I was five, six years old. This is when my parents got divorced and my self-worth, my self-worth was extremely impacted. Think, well, I can't ask you to think about it because it's my story, but my self-worth was extremely impacted, leaving me to feel the need to have my self-worth validated by those around me mainly the women in my life. So, yeah, and I could go even deeper, but for the sake of time, I want to shift over to the second thing that happens if we don't heal from our past childhood wounds. Okay, hopefully the first, all that information made sense. Uh, Email us if you have any questions, but just go and listen to it again. It's this deep, y'all. It's really deep. It really is. It's really deep. So, okay, so the second thing that happens is this, and this is, we're talking if, you never heal from your past childhood wounds. The second thing that happens is we will find ourselves using our current marriage to close the loops of our past. In other words, we will use our marriages to find closure to our past pains or to meet the needs of our childhood that weren't met. This is key, guys. A lot. Yes. This goes back to the why did I get married episode that we had? I think it was episode number 36. So check that yeah. one out. But it goes back to that whole concept of why did you get married? How are you using your relationship? And for many of us, 
our childhoods were marred with traumatic incidents that have left wounds that as adults we are still protecting and recovering from. From many of us. I would actually say from all of us, but you know, I don't know all people, but everybody that we've ever worked with, this is true for them. Right? Yeah. But even if you were fortunate enough to escape such serious childhood traumas like sexual, physical, or emotional abuse uh, or divorce or the death of a parent, there still are unseen scars that have their origins in your childhood. And if I could just say, I think one that's hidden a lot is a lot of times when people are younger and they're in a very nurturing family, sometimes they can be enabled Mm. And they never learn how to receive rejection. Mm. They never learn how to fail. And mm. then that comes out in their marriage. Yeah. So then when their spouse challenges them or they, you know, call them on their dirt or whatever they're doing, it comes off, you know, they view their spouse as mean and all these other things, you know. Yeah. Um, and that could also be a hurdle and a stumbling block. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because the truth of it is, unfortunately, no parent, no matter how devoted and how attentive they were, is able to respond flawlessly to all of the changes and shifting needs that kids come out with. Right. right? Every time a need is not met, think about it like this. Every time a need is not met, a deficit or a void was created. Mm-hmm. And so imagine you got a kid, an infant crying, and the parent doesn't come. Well, the, only the kid knows what they need, and they really may not know understand what they need, but they have this innate feeling of what's going on. And so they cry because they don't know how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Now, if that need was not met because maybe the parents were arguing or maybe the parents decided to let the kid cry it out, the kid begins to learn that, you know what, this world is not as safe as maybe the womb used to be. Because in the womb, everything was met. All my needs were met. I was protected. I didn't have to mm-hmm. worry about the elements. It was yeah. warm and cozy and oozy <laughs> and ooey gooey. But outside, I'm exposed to everything. I'm exposed to light, to heat, to coldness, to loud noises, to sharp pains, right? To things on my in my mouth that's not really, I'm not used to. And wet, what is water, right? I'm exposed to everything. Well, yeah, you're right. They know what water is. <laughs> as I, was, I was going. Thank you, baby. Thank you. I don't remember my time in the womb. They so. feel at home in the water. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, think about it. If, you know, whenever they had a need and it wasn't met, a void or a deficit was created. It is these voids. Those voids that are created that influence our habits and more importantly, our spousal preferences. Mm -hmm. Now, as adults, we often are attracted to those who appear able to meet the needs that were never met in our childhood. I've heard it said this way. We often marry our parents. I know that sounds weird, but yes, you married your dad or your mom. Trust me. (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm just being real. (laughs) As a result, We often pick our spouses based on their ability to meet our needs that were never catered to as children. Oh, and if you feel like you didn't marry your mom or your dad, then think about the another close man or woman in your life. Yep. Grandparent. Could be a grandparent. Uh, uncle. Could be an uncle. Cousin, yeah, exactly. Someone who's very influential. Yep, yep. And and I know that Negatively you may... Negatively or positively. Yeah, that's a great... You got to pull that one out because a lot of times we just think it's the positive traits and often it's the negative traits that we uh, find ourselves being attracted to the most. Yeah, it could be a and, mixture. And I'm, I'll talk about this in a minute. Um, but I know that you may initially feel offended by this statement, but I guarantee that if you were to stop long enough to think about this, you would find 
this thing to be true, that statement that you often marry your parents. Here, here's, here's an example. I'm going to give you an example real fast, okay? So if you suffered from rejection as a child, you had to learn to protect yourself. Now, remember, goes all the way back to stage one, trust versus mistrust. If you came out and you saw that your parents weren't trustworthy because the, the, you had needs that weren't catered to, then you had to learn how to protect yourself. By default, you developed certain behaviors or certain ways of thinking that shielded you from being rejected. It's that same concept of if uh, if there's not stability in a home provided by the parents, the child then has to find their own sense and source of stability. Right? It's that same concept. So as you grow, you will actively seek relationships that protect you from rejection while also unintentionally seeking the very type of person that used to reject you in the first place. It's almost like a cookie cutter. And if your your parents are your most influential individuals and models when you're a child, and so if, if they left a, a negative imprint because of something you never got, it's almost like a cookie cutter shape was taken in that area. And so you will naturally be drawn to whatever seems, yeah, exactly, whatever you're missing, whatever seeks, seems to fill that spot, right? The person that originally rejected you left a void. The person that you are currently married to, your spouse, appeared to fit that void. Hence, your desire to be connected with that person on a deeper and emotional level. They appeared able to close the loop of your past pain. Think about this, y'all. Again, this is very important. I promise you. It's important because this is possibly the reason why you or your spouse have found yourselves not feeling completely fulfilled in your marriage. And like I did, this is possibly why they might have been drawn to having an affair. Yeah. And for me, Mandy appeared to close the loop. But the moment we got married, I saw that she was not the loop closer. (laughs) And so immediately I panicked and was like, well, something, someone has to close this loop. And I found that in another person, but it could easily be found in overworking yourselves or drinking a lot or drugs or work, work, pornography, right? Facelifts, butt lifts, whatever the case may be. You can find that in all kinds of things. But unfortunately, there's never going to be another person that can completely or thing or thing. Thank you. That can completely feel what you never got growing up because and what's so I'm sorry. Go, no, go ahead. Cause saying, what's, it's so about to be deep. what's so crazy is it's not if they do decide to have an affair, it's you find out that it's not even about that other person. Yes. It's not even about them wanting this other person more than, than they want you. It's oh about filling that void. I asked so somebody you, the other day. I'm sorry. I, I just got hyped. Go ahead. You cut me off. So I had to cut you back. No, I'm oh, joking. That's Pat, was that Patty? Yeah, well, was that Patty? Was Finish Patty. your statement. Cause, cause no. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I got tart. This is hype. <laughs> I was going to say, when you, when you force yourself to look at that bigger picture, um, then you're able to see that. You're able to see that it's not even about you. Yeah. That that void could have been filled by a lot of other things as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I'm sorry, guys, if you heard that background noise. Our studio <laughs> is right next to a window, which was somebody just happened to be mowing the grass when we just started, decided to go live. I, I was actually speaking to someone the other day, and I asked them the question. I was like, why the other woman? And he said, because she makes me feel 
like a king. And I was like, it makes so much sense. Because if you got married expecting your wife to make you feel validated and affirmed, Mm -hmm. and then they stopped doing that because that's not their job to begin with, of course you're going to feel rejected. And of course, you're not going to want to be where you're being rejected. You're going to want to go where you're being celebrated. Right. And so it makes sense. Or you it's, may not even be rejected. It's just that they're not meeting that need the way you want it exactly. to be. Exactly. Yes. They're not closing the loop. And so you go where the loop appears to be able to be closed. So or good. or maybe your wife or your spouse is trying to make you feel like a king in one way. But your definition, your definition of kingdom yep. is different. Yep. So they're speaking a different language. Yes. Love languages. This is all this stuff is interconnected. I hope I hope it's making sense, y'all. I hope it's making sense. Okay, we got we we got a lot. We got well, we got a little bit more to go. So I want to make sure we got time. So we're gonna move on. But in order, I'm gonna say this: in order to have a healthy and fulfilling marriage, your baggage cannot guide you. Right. Hear me: your baggage cannot guide you if you're looking to have a healthy and fulfilling marriage. It is your responsibility. Think about it. I didn't say your spouses. I didn't say God's. I didn't say your grandmamas. It is your responsibility to be honest with yourself to determine whether or not this is true. Okay? Please be honest with yourself. Now, before we wrap up and before I talk about the league, because I'm hype about that, um, (laughs) we would like to share with you 13 ways to tell if your baggage is ruining your marriage. Now, As Mandy lists these things and as we talk about these things in further detail, I want you to be honest with yourself and see if any of these apply to you. All right. So let's go ahead and dive in, baby. What's the first way to tell if your baggage is ruining your marriage? So the first way to tell that your baggage is ruining your marriage is that you constantly find yourself frustrated because your spouse is not meeting your expectations. <laughs> Think of, I mean, like, like we get married and we bring all of our expectations of what we expect marriage to look like. And then the moment our spouses don't measure up, remember the apple pie, peanut butter and jelly story I told you all about Mandy and I, <laughs> the moment they don't measure up, you find your butt frustrated. And there's a difference between standards and expectations mm. coming into your marriage with already established expectations without yes. your spouse being in on that decision. Yes. Partnership. You know, yeah. Without your spouse being able to help develop those expectations. Yeah. Then you set yourself up for failure. It, it, it's selfish, which is the opposite of unconditional love. Right. Now, again, like Mandy said, standards is my standards is that I will not settle for being beat on. Right. That's a standard. Right. Right. An expectation is I expect that whenever I come home, my wife is, or my husband is going to kiss me on the lips. Right. Right. Cause maybe you saw that happen in your house. I don't mean it's going to happen. Or maybe you was watching or a TV. notebook. Yeah. I was about to say that. And now all of a sudden that's your expectation. Mm-hmm. Right. No. Expectations you guys, should be developed together as a you. couple so that yes. you can establish your own family culture. Ooh, I will smack my mama. This is so good. I'm sorry. So I'm like, I hope she ain't listening. <laughs> sorry, Rochelle. Okay. Anyway, what's the second way to tell if your baggage is ruining your marriage all right so the second way to tell is you find yourself reacting in a defensive or guarded manner towards your spouse Mm. have you are have you dealt with this where you you find yourself easily defensive they ask you a question and automatically you're on guard it right? means that you have some type of trigger. Something is triggering you. Hello, wake Something. up. Something's triggering you. Or maybe you are guarded in your emotions and you just can't open up or express 
how you truly feel. There's something blocking you there. And a lot of times, you know, it's it's you're holding something there. Yes. There may be some unforgiveness, some bitterness, resentment hey, from yes. something that has happened. Yes, yes, and yes, you got to yes. let those things go let if you go. want a happy and healthy marriage. Yes. Um, this is good. I'm, I hope y'all are eating off this like I am. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> let's move to the third. Good eating. All right, mm-hmm. number three. Um, number three is you blame your spouse for making you making making you feel a certain certain way. <laughs> so number three is you blame your spouse for making you feel a certain way. Mm, that's good. Like this is, I, and we hear this a lot, where people just don't take accountability for how they feel. Do you know that it is impossible for anybody to make you feel anything? People don't like that. People don't like to hear that. Yes, but I can't go in Mandy's brain and manipulate that center of her brain that determines her emotions. I can't do it. I, I, I No, I don't wish I could. And let's not, <laughs> now, now, I will say it's possible if a person is emotionally unstable, if a person is controlled by their emotions, mm-hmm. and if, if that's you... Then you're going to be easily triggered. Then, then, yeah. Yeah, and it will seem like they're manipulating your emotions, but guess what? You're emotionally unstable. That means that there's something tipping the scale towards instability. Right. Wonder what it is. Let's keep going. What's number four? Number four is you have resentment towards your spouse for them changing after you guys got married. Ooh, that this was my plight. I, I resented the fact that when we got married, well, before we got married, Mandy was offering apple pie. And then when we got married, she gave me PB&J. I resented that because I was really saying she changed. She was the one that changed. Was it really her that changed or was it something else? Did she just expose something in me that changed how I began to see her because of the pain that she was producing to me through the the exposure Mm -hmm. or yeah, it's, I mean, think about this, y'all. This is, this is another way to tell if your baggage is ruining your marriage. Mm -hmm. Let's go to number five. All right. So the fifth reason or the fifth way to tell if your baggage is ruining your marriage is you suffered trauma in your childhood, but you haven't processed through it or sought any healing for what happened. How many of you guys are guilty of this? Something negative happened that has literally impacted how you see the world. Yes. And you haven't sought help. Mm -hmm. You haven't even healed. I've been working with people. I have a couple people that I've worked with. Both parents are dead. They're young, the the, the clients, both parents are dead and they never got counseling. Mm -hmm. They never went and grieved properly. So imagine carrying that weight, carrying the pain with you every single day as you're raising your own kids. And not having support. Oh my gosh. Yes. This is huge guys. This is just another way to tell if your baggage is ruining your marriage. All right, let's go to number six. So number six is when asked the question, why did you marry your spouse? Your answer focuses on how they made you feel or what they did for you. Mm, Think about that. Now, I want to give you guys a piece of truth. If you say you love or agape your spouse, it's not about what they give you. It's not about, it's not even about what they can do for you. It's all about what you do for them. Unconditional love means to do what, baby? To give all. All the time. All the time. So when you vow to love your spouse unconditionally, you vow to do what? Give all all the time. To them. Not for you to get something in return. Mm -hmm. So if you say that the reason why you got married is because they made you feel a certain way or they did these things for you, that means that you were marrying someone to find closure to something from your past. Okay? So true. Number seven. What's that, baby? All right. Number seven is you find yourself unable to forgive your spouse 
for something that they have done to you or you hold a grudge for what they did to you in the past. Mm, I know a lot of grudge holders. A lot of people struggle with forgiving. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, because it it makes you have to be vulnerable. And a lot of people don't want to be vulnerable. So they hold these grudges to protect themselves. And that lets you, if you're still doing that, guess who hold grudges? Like kids, and I'm not comparing you to a kid. I guess I kind of am. But kids do that. Right. If because kids don't know how to not let go sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, he stepped in my shoe. He pushed me. So I push him back. Mm-hmm. Well, as a in, as an adult and when you're married, it's not an eye for an eye. You don't, right. you know, withhold something because they withheld something from you. And you again, don't, it's stemming from the past. So yeah. if something happened like that, you were abandoned as a child. And mm-hmm. I mean, that could still be a trigger and a huge wound. And this is a way that you cope. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing per se, but this is just how you've learned to cope with pain. Okay. Interesting. Number eight, babe, what's that? So number eight is you very rarely take accountability for your actions and instead shine a spotlight on your spouse's wrongdoings. Mm. I know I didn't do this, but this is what you just did, right? Or I might have said that, but it was because of X, Y, and Z, right? Always projecting onto the other person. Mm -hmm. Never wanting to be accountable for oneself. This is huge. A lot of people struggle with this. And this is why conflict resolution is so important and communication skills are so important because if I don't know how to deal with conflict because I never got that skill growing up, mm-hmm. don't expect him to, don't expect your husband to be good at handling conflict now if he didn't learn how to handle conflict when he was four or five. Right. Just being honest. Okay. Right. So again, number, let's, well, let's move on to number nine. All right. So number nine, you get personal and hit below the belt when you and your spouse argue. Ooh. And usually no, this, no, no. yeah, this no, no. is a huge no-no because you can cause more damage than good. Yes. And a lot of times people do this because they want the other person to see how much pain they gave them. And so they try to give it back to them. But and that's, they regret it. Yes. Then, then you regret it. Yep. So please don't do this. But this lets me know, and this lets us know actually that there's still something from the past that's being triggered. That's causing you to want to retaliate mm-hmm. and, you know, put harm back on the other person. Right. Okay. Uh, so just keep this in mind, guys. Number 10, we're almost done. What's number 10? All right. So number 10 is you punish your spouse by withholding sex or other forms of intimacy. How many of y'all are guilty of this? How many of y'all are guilty of this? I think you get none tonight. (laughs) You might as well sleep on the couch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Think about that. That's not God. The Bible says (laughs) that your body is mine, baby. I wish you would try to withhold. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I I wouldn't try to get it like that because then to me, that's kind of like taking advantage of you. Mm-hmm. So there's a fine line. But there. yeah, but yeah, I just got distracted. But anyway. Unless we're <laughs> fasting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a partnership. Okay. Number 11 is what baby? Number 11 is you are insecure inside of your marriage and often project your insecurities onto your spouse. Ooh, this is huge. And a lot of husbands are guilty of this. I've been learning through the research that I've been doing that most husbands struggle with insecurities, but they never own them. I ain't musty. It's your breath. I, I know how to manage money, yet you're, you know, mismanaging your bills. Uh, it was because you. No, just be accountable, sir. <laughs> just be accountable, dude. Come on. Number 12. <laughs> All right. Number 12. You are easily triggered or irritated by even the smallest things that they do. Yes. If you're easily triggered, if there's always a landmine being set off, Ooh. that means that there's a lot of residue from your past just beneath the surface. And we need to get that stuff up and out so that you aren't triggered. I Look believe as adults, we shouldn't have buttons that other people can push. 
Because if somebody can push my button and make me angry, they can control me. I don't want to be controlled. I shouldn't be controlled. Mm-hmm. Right? That's so true. I, I'm supposed to have dominion over me, mm-hmm. over the earth, over myself. Right. Not someone else have dominion over me. Right. Okay? So exactly. just think about that. Uh, Number 13, baby. All right. Number 13 is there are skeletons in your closet that you have not exposed to your spouse yet. Mm. How, how many secrets? How many of y'all got secrets? We, we've worked with people. You don't need people. to know that. <laughs> yes, he do. Yes, he do. We've worked with people that literally, and they've been married for like, what, five, six years and literally didn't know that their spouse had previous marriages. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is crazy, y'all. I'm telling you, you have to be cognizant of these things. These are 13 yeah. ways to tell if your baggage is ruining your marriage. Now, I'm sure there are more, and I will leave it up to you guys to discover the other things, because there's more than 13, right? But right. at the end of the day, please understand that if you have not properly dealt with the baggage of your past, it will negatively impact your marriage. There's no option around it. It will negatively impact your marriage. It is your responsibility, not your spouse's, but your responsibility to make sure that this does not happen. If you're upset with them because they're triggering you, it's your fault because you got stuff to be triggered. (laughs) I'm not saying it's your fault that they're maybe being a butthead, but the fact that you're being triggered is not their fault. It's your fault. And I've heard it said that God intends marriage to make you not happy, but holy. So if they're triggering you, it's God's way of revealing in you what needs to be out of you. It's don't, God sharpening you. It's God sharpening you, so don't resist the process. Just get rid of it. So remember, guys, the definition of agape love is to give all, all the time. That means that you have to be operating at a healthy level to do so. If you are broken and aren't able to have personal emotional stability, don't fool yourself into thinking that you can love agape style when you are constantly looking for them to meet your needs. So if you're emotionally unstable, don't fool yourself into thinking that you can give to someone else because really at the end of the day, you're looking to receive. Marriage is not about getting your needs met. It is about giving all of yourself to your spouse all of the time. Now, I would like to do one final thing before we conclude the show. I know we've been on for a while. I apologize, but thank y'all. This is a lot of information. Uh, We've been offering marriage counseling services uh, since we started Mend Our Marriage. And I would like to mention that we do have a few slots available for couples or individuals who truly feel the need to dive deeper as it regards to cleaning out the baggage of their lives in their marriage. Okay? We don't do this a lot because... You know, our time is valuable and we got a lot of people we're working with, but I do want to open up and just say we do have a few slots that we are opening up that's, you know, available for those who are interested in cleaning out the clutter of their past, getting rid of the baggage. Um, if you're interested in any of our counseling services, uh, please email us at info, I-N-F-O, at mendourmarriage.com info at mendourmarriage.com and let me know that you are interested. I will personally set up a free consultation with you uh, and talk to you on the phone and explore what it would look like for us to work together. Now, we're only opening up a few slots because we are already booked, so don't delay on this, okay? Okay, now for the ending of the show. 
because I'm hype about this. But for all of my husband listeners, remember that the League of Extraordinary Husbands is now open and ready for you to register. This is an exclusive mastermind group. For anybody that want to know what it is, it is an exclusive mastermind group for husbands who are interested in becoming better versions of themselves. There is nothing, I mean nothing, else like this out there. The League, is what I'm calling it, the League, is all about accountability and personal development for husbands. I've already gotten tons of emails from husbands who are ready to get going with this journey. So So I'm hype about this. Um, But, you know, we're going to be doing all kinds of things to help us husbands grow. So a few of the things that is included in this membership will be uh, biweekly group coaching calls, uh, a private Facebook forum for husbands only. And actually a secret Facebook form, meaning nobody, nobody will know that you're in the and group. they won't be able to find uh, no it. No one will be able to find it. So a secret Facebook form for husbands only, weekly challenges, personal Skype sessions with me, accountability partners, uh, book clubs, you know, daily motivation, events. Mu- events, and much, much more. And oh, by the way, because I know some of you guys are wondering, the membership starts at only $20 a month. Yep. You heard that correctly. Literally. $20 a month and you have accountability because this is needed guys. Um, and the reason it, the reason why, um, I put a price tag on it is because I wanted to make sure that there's skin in the game. Whenever a person will join or do something for free, they're less likely to be accountable to it and, and continue with it. But if you got some skin in the game, $20 is not a, a lot, but if you, you know, you got 20 bucks, some skin in the game, you're more likely to be accountable. And yes, I'm paying for it as well. Yes. So it's not like y'all just paying me. I'm paying for this as well because I am going to be a part of this as well because I want accountability, right? So, and we're going to also find a way to uh, have the, some of the proceeds go to some type of nonprofit organization that has a focus on boys, um, fatherless boys. So we're going to be working on that as well. Yeah, uh, but just so, so exciting. I'm so yeah, happy yeah. that this is getting started. Yeah. Uh, me too. So to learn more and to sign up and reserve your spot in the league, because you have to have a spot in the league. <laughs> I like that because we're superheroes. Finally, I get to be yeah. a hero. But anyway, to reserve your spot, go to, here's the website. Go to www.thelxh.com. So www.thelxh.com. H.com. Also, remember guys, this is, this is, this is a, a mastermind group that we're doing to help husbands thrive in their marriages. So we're going to be doing weekly things, dating ideas. I mean, we, I mean, we're really going to get deep, right? That's, really that's deep. Good. Seriously. So I need this. Other husbands need this. So we're going to get this happening. So go to the LXH.com to reserve and sign up. Uh, all right, guys, we're done. I want you to remember that you can like, comment, and share these episodes on Facebook. Doing that will help us to spread the message. You can also subscribe in iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. The more people who subscribe to these shows uh, and leave ratings and reviews, the more people will have access to these types of divorce-destroying resources. Yes. Thank y'all for the time that you guys have invested in the show. It was long. I'm out of breath. I'm hype. We're done, <laughs> y'all. We out. Deuces. Deuce, deuce, baby. Deuce.